0: When our 13-year-old son, Joey, is riding in the vehicle with me, uh, he's usually content just to stare out the window, uh, maybe notice the pink Lexus that's driving by, or maybe he'll chat me up about the latest regarding a friend of his at school with a colorful personality. But not long ago, I found Joey in the car deeply absorbed in a novel called The Midnight Library. I turned my head and asked him, good book, great book. Can I read it after you're done? Sure. The Midnight Library is about a young woman named Nora, who is talented, but she has not accomplished much in her life. She gets fired from her job at the music store, She is estranged from her only living family member, an older brother. And then her beloved cat, Volts, dies. And as Nora stares into her cat's face and sees the peaceful expression there, she feels envious. And so Nora ends up taking a bunch of pills, tries to take her life but she ends up waking in a library. In the library, she sees a kind and wise librarian who reminds her of the librarian she had when she was in high school. The librarian explains to Nora that she is hovering in this in-between space between life and death. She is in the midnight library The librarian explains that all the books on the shelves are alternate versions of your life, the lives you would have had if you had simply made different choices. The librarian explains that when you grab a book and you open it up, you will enter into an alternate life that you would have had if you had made a different choice. The librarian says, don't worry. If you become dissatisfied in this alternate life, you will find yourself back in the midnight library ready for another go. And so Nora reaches for a book on the shelf. She opens it up, and she finds herself whisked into another life where she is married to a guy named Dan. In her original life, Nora dated Dan, but she broke up with him. In this alternate life, she is married to him, and she discovers that they have started a pub in a small town in England. They get into a fight one night, Nora becomes very sad, and she finds herself back in the midnight library. She reaches for another book. Now, in Nora's original life, when she was 15 years old, she was considered the fastest swimmer in England. She opens the book and she is taken into an alternate life where she has won the Olympic gold medal as a swimmer and then becomes a successful motivational speaker. But then something sad happens and she finds herself back in the midnight library. She reaches for yet another book. discovers that in this life she is actually a rock star not as a metaphor but she's part of a rock band and she's singing and she is a rock star now part of the appeal of a novel like the midnight library is that it taps into the desire that we have to get a second chance at some things To be able to have a kind of reset where we erase past mistakes, it taps into the curiosity we have about what our life might have been like if we had chosen a different kind of path. Many of us have wondered, what if? What if I had gone to that school or joined that program? What if I had broken up with so-and-so? Or what if I had stayed in a relationship with that person? Or how might my life had turned out if I had moved when I had the opportunity? As some of you know, on September 4th of last year, my mother died of cancer. When she learned last summer that her cancer had come back, She was ready to meet God, and so she chose not to pursue any treatments. My siblings and I wondered, what if we weren't in a pandemic? What if she had been able to see her physician in person rather than talking to him by phone? Might the cancer have been detected earlier, and might she have been open to treatments? What if? There's someone in our faith community who within a week's time, lost both of her parents to COVID. And her family was asking the question, what if our parents had been vaccinated? Might things have been different? What if? We've been in a sermon series here at 10th on the I Am Statements of Jesus, from the Gospel of John, where Jesus discloses his identity. Today, we're going to be looking at one of his I Am statements that is, well, quite literally, life-giving. To set up the context, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Now, we know from the passage that Lazarus is a close, beloved friend of Jesus, as are his sisters, Mary and Martha. We're told he's sick. In fact, we know that he is in critical condition. He's in the equivalent of the ICU. And so Mary and Martha send Jesus a message saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now the message was intended to make Jesus feel obligated to come quickly to their home. And so verse 5 seems really odd to us. We read, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. We would expect that the verse would unfold like this. Because Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters and knew he was sick, he dashed off from where he was east of the Jordan, crossed the river, went west of the Jordan to their home in Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem. But instead we read when Jesus learned that Lazarus was sick because he loved him and his family, he stayed where he was two more days. More on that a little later. When Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has already died. In fact, he's been dead for four days. People are still grieving in his small village. They're weeping. And Martha approaches Jesus as he comes into town, deeply disappointed and saddened. And she says... Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's wondering, what if you had shown up on time? My brother might have been spared. What if you had been around as you so often had been? My brother might have lived But Martha expresses her trust in Jesus as she says, even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. And here's the I am statement. Jesus responds by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. In verse 5, we read that when Jesus heard that his beloved friend Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It sounded so odd. But we know that he stayed in order that Lazarus and his family and we might see the power of God on display. Jesus knows that God is about to do a very special miracle through him. But he's not rubbing his hands. He doesn't have a twinkle in his eye. He's not winking at his students, saying, you better hold on because I am about to blow you away. It's nothing like that. The text tells us that Jesus wept He is deeply saddened, angry, and grieved in the wake of his friend Lazarus' death. And when we experience loss and pain and tears, Jesus, God, experiences loss and pain and tears with us. The text tells us that Jesus was once more deeply moved, and he walked toward the tomb, which was a cave in which Lazarus lay, on the front of which was a heavy stone. Lazarus's sister Martha, always practical, says, Jesus, don't don't go near the tomb. He's been dead for four days, his body stinks. There will be a foul odor. In this world, people believe that after you died, your soul sort of hovered around your body for about three days, but on the fourth day, with the body decomposing, even the soul pinched its nose in a manner of speaking and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> so people believed Lazarus was definitively dead, and he was. But Jesus tells the people standing near the stone, Move that stone, move the door. And then Jesus steps forward. And in tears, he prays silently to his Father in heaven. And then he prays out loud. And then Jesus steps forward and in a loud voice says, Lazarus, come out! And there's a shuffling noise. And then people hear the sound of someone hopping. He's bound in the ancient burial bandages, so he can't just sort of walk out. He can't saunter out. He can't strut out. He has to sort of hop out, this dead man, this dead man who's now alive. And Jesus says, remove his burial cloths. And they do, and they see that Lazarus is alive. And when Martha and Mary see their brother, Alive, all the what ifs in their mind simply vanish. Word gets out that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And the religious leaders are afraid that more and more people will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the long awaited for Savior. The religious leaders have cut a deal with the Roman authorities. And Rome has agreed to be more tolerant toward the Jewish people. But the Jewish leaders are afraid that if more and more people believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior, they will view Jesus as a political rival, and they will retaliate by seizing their temple, which was a major cash cow for the religious leaders and the cultural elite. So they're afraid. And Caiaphas... The high priest that year was not a man with the qualities of a true prophet, but he said something pragmatic which proved to be prophetic. He said, it is better for us that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. It is better for us that one man, Jesus, die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Those were prophetic words. And so not long thereafter, Jesus was arrested. He was tried in a kind of kangaroo court, sentenced to die on a cross. He was crucified. And then on the third day, God raises Jesus from the dead. And this is why we along with much of the world, celebrate Easter. When God raised Jesus from the dead, God was saying that my son has paid for the debt of sin in full. It is canceled. Human beings can be forgiven. The power of death has been broken. What does God... Raising Jesus from the dead mean for us. It means that if we entrust our lives into his hands, that we will one day rise again from the dead in a glorious way. Jesus said, if you believe in me, even though you die, yet shall you live. And when we are raised again, when we experience that glorious life of God, Every bad thing in our life will be reversed. Every painful thing will be redeemed. And every what-if will vanish like a mirage. I recently read Hyun Lee's compelling memoir called The Girl with Seven Names. And in this memoir, Hyun Lee describes how she was raised in North Korea, but when she was almost 18 years old, mostly out of curiosity, she decided to cross the river into China. She went to visit her aunt and uncle who had defected from North Korea during the Korean War. Kyung Lee had every intention to return back to North Korea But while she was in China, she received an urgent message telling her, it is too dangerous to come back. Stay in China. Hyun Se-Lee eventually gets a job as a waitress, and she hides her true identity as a North Korean to virtually everyone except a couple of people whom she trusts. But one of those people outs her to the police, probably because of a promise of some kind of financial reward. And Hyun Se Lee is arrested in her restaurant. And she is taken to a local police station. And she's thinking, I'm gonna be deported back to North Korea. And my mother, my brother, and I will be tortured and we will spend the rest of our lives in a labor camp or we will be publicly executed. And she asks herself, what if, what if I had never left North Korea? What if I had told no one? What if I hadn't been such an idiot and told people that I was from North Korea? She's at the police station. She's at a table behind which are three officers who are about to interrogate her. And on the wall are 20 police officers who are staring at her. The atmosphere is tense. The chief interrogator asks her the question, tell us the name of your parents and where they live. Kionse responds by giving the names of her aunt and uncle and their address as if they were her own parents. The interrogator then asks the question, tell us where you went to school. Kionse remembers where her previous boyfriend in China went to school. Names the school as if she went there. Then the interrogator pulls out a Mandarin newspaper. Read. hyun was forced as a girl to learn Mandarin by her dad, and so she begins to read, and she's afraid that her North Korean accent is bleeding through. Then the interrogator says, write. She writes. The interrogator is silent for a time. And then she points to Hyun Lee and says, she is not North Korean. It's a false report. And the atmosphere of the room lightens, people smile. And as she walks out, all the what-ifs vanish. They disappear. We have a golden retriever named Sasha, and each morning... I like to get up early and run with her through our neighborhood. When I get back to our house, it's starting to get a little bit brighter outside. I come through the the back gate, through our backyard. And if it's after six in the morning, I'll I'll look up at our bedroom window. And if Sakiko, my wife's bedside lamp, isn't on, I'll think, oh no, she might have (laughs) died. I know that sounds laughable, and it is, it's sort of crazy, but I feel for a moment this dread and this anxiety, and then the light turns on, or I go in the house and realize she's up, she just hasn't turned on the lamp by her bedside, and I won't say anything, but I'll feel this relief, and I feel much happier. Some of you have imagined or even dreamed about your worst possible fear coming to pass. That you're totally unprepared for a really important exam. You've dreamed that perhaps. Or or, or you're, you're running late for a really important meeting. Or a loved one in your dream has died. A spouse, a child, a family member, a friend. And then you wake up you wake up and it feels like everything has been reversed and you're relieved. In Lord of the Rings, Sam believes that Gandalf has fallen off of a cliff and died. Yes, <laughs> Die. And Sam, at the end of the story, is in a deep and long sleep. And when Sam begins to wake up, he opens his eyes, and Gandalf is standing beside him, the sun glistening on him. Gandalf looks at Sam and says, well, Master Samwise, how do you feel for a moment? Between bewilderment and great joy, Sam cannot answer. And then finally, Sam says, perhaps roused by the footsteps, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead too. Does this mean that everything sad is going to come untrue? And Gandalf smiles and he laughs and he says, the great shadow has departed. And Sam says, I feel like spring after the winter and the sun on the leaves and all the songs I have ever heard. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was a foreshadowing of how God would raise Jesus from the dead and how if our lives are in his hands, that we will one day be gloriously resurrected as well. And on that day, all the painful experiences of our lives will be redeemed. All the sad things that we have gone through will come untrue, and all the what-ifs will vanish. This is a promise far greater than that of the offer made to Nora in the midnight library. You know, having the opportunity to enter into alternate lives had its upsides, but there were also challenges with each alternate life. When she discovered that she was an Olympic champion swimmer and a motivational speaker, she learns that her dad has an affair with someone he had met at one of her swim meets. It's heartbreaking. And Nora finds herself back in the midnight library. When she pulls off another book and realizes she is a rock star, it's sort of exciting, but then she reads, she lives the fact that her brother is part of the rock band, or was, and has died of a drug overdose, and she's back in the midnight library. In these troubling times that we live in, we are hoping that once and for all, we will emerge out of this pandemic, but we are also aware that there are new variants that may make us vulnerable yet again. Many of us have wondered about decisions we've made around our education, work, relationships. Some of us have experienced the pain of a loss, a loved one departed, some other kind of loss. And we wonder, what if, what if, what if? Because God raised Jesus from the dead that first Easter, It means that you and I, if we put our lives in God's hands, will one day experience a glorious rising again that far surpasses a second chance. It means that we will be reunited with our loved ones. I miss my mom not being here. She loved to worship here. She loved to laugh. I'll be reunited with her. The person I mentioned earlier from our faith community will be reunited with her parents. Every painful thing on that day will be redeemed. Every what-if will vanish. And like Sam, we can feel like it's spring after winter, like sun on the leaves and all the songs we have ever heard. Let's pray together. You are in the presence of God now. Not because you are in a sanctuary, but because God is alive and God loves you. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And if in your heart you will entrust your life to God... Death will not be final for you. That will not be the last part of your existence. You will rise again in glory. And even right now, you can look to God and say, God, come into my life and give me the life that is really life. Give me your life. As we were reminded of on Good Friday Jesus died on a cross, bearing our sin, canceling it so that we could be forgiven, so that the holy life of God could live in us. And so right now, if you'd like, you can say, living God, forgive my sins. I place myself in your hands. And you can experience the resurrection life of God even now, this Easter, this April 17th, 2022 Give your life to God say I'm yours and you will know the life that never dies and may it be so for you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen